Hey, you're listening to the Achillion Live podcast. I'm Amir, the founder of Achillion, and your host. Each episode, I'll be talking to experts and innovators about cybersecurity, privacy, and startups. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Today, my guest is Tyler Carbone, the former head of strategy at dark web monitoring company Terbium Labs, which was recently acquired by Deloitte. He is an expert on all things dark web monitoring and personal security. Hey, Tyler, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Okay, looking forward to talking to you about this. What we want to talk about today is this paper that came out in May of this year by two researchers at the Department of Computer Science and Center for Information Technology Policy at Princeton University, Kevin Lee and Arvind Narai Anand. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And their paper, Security and Privacy Risks of Number Recycling in Mobile Carriers in the U.S., And this paper is really, really, really interesting to me, especially because I'm interested in personal security. But basically the the gist of this paper is that there's 35 million phone numbers a year that are disconnected in the US. And there are industry standards and FCC regulations around how those numbers are reassigned to new users and how that leads to a bunch of different security risks and privacy risks. And their study is really bringing attention to these big problems. So it's a fascinating paper. We'll put a link to it in the notes. Tyler, what do you think? It was interesting you brought my attention to it because it really speaks to one of the things I've spent the last couple of years on about, which is this idea that data in many senses has become a commodity. We think of data security as bad guys going very maliciously after one specific high value target. And the reality over the last few years as the availability of stolen data has increased is that it's almost the opposite. If someone getting my data or your data or my friend John's data it's all the same, it's worth the same amount and they can use it in whatever ways they can. And that really lends itself to these kind of opportunistic attacks like this, where if I can get a recycled phone number, in some sense, it doesn't matter who it belongs to because the value of that data is pretty standard across the board. We're seeing the same thing in the way data is often sold. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And what I think is really important about this for people to see is that this isn't some crazy international espionage, high-tech, super genius that requires advanced technology. This is like low-level, spammy, hacky stuff that anybody can do with a computer. You don't really need to even understand how all this stuff works to do it, which is, I think, really, really crazy. Let's jump into it. What are these eight attack vectors? And I guess there's three that are the really big ones and then five more. Yeah, so as laid out in the paper, right, can think of it as two categories. One is if I have a phone number and it's been recycled and someone else activates that number and uses it, that exposes me to certain risks, my family, anybody else who's affiliated with that phone number. If it was a corporate cell phone, for example, exposes my company. The other side of it is if I am registering a new phone number, a legitimate phone number, and that number has been recycled, am I exposed to risks from any of the actors who may have had it before? So going through the risk factors highlighted in this paper, again, in those two categories, I'll just you know, read them off here quickly and we can speak to them 
The first is PII indexing. And this is something we see a lot in the dark web space. We refer to it often as moving laterally. It's this idea that I can use one piece of information to get another and expand out a full PII profile of an individual, which becomes really important when it comes to hacking that individual or exposing that individual. The more data I have, the more passwords I can reset, the more I can do with that. The second category is going to be account hijackings via recovery. And this is pretty simple. It's Amir used to have a phone number. He doesn't change it in his Twitter settings. I then register that phone number. I do a password reset via SMS, and now I can access Amir's Twitter account. Similarly, there are going to be other accounts you can access without a password reset. So pretty similar, also account hijacking, but this is things that you know text you a login code. I know Slack, for example, you used to be able to get those magic login links where you didn't even right. need a password. That gets texted to a number you no longer control, very bad. Next category they highlight is going to be targeted takeover. This is a case where someone may change their phone number. This is much more directed than the first two. In the first two categories, I don't care whose number it is, I'm really viewing the threat as commoditized. In this case, I specifically want to get you a mirror. I look up what his previous cell phone numbers may have been. And it's pretty easy, kind of alarmingly easy in many cases to find these previous cell phone numbers. Amir may have listed them on old business cards and maybe in cash versions of his LinkedIn pages, whatever that might be. I thought that one was really interesting because they said somewhere that intimate partner violence survivors are a really big target for that category because it's often by people that are really close to you. Who previously had the phone number and are yeah, familiar with that. Yeah like, yeah, like know that you just changed your number. Yeah. And maybe you can speak a little bit to how this information gets out, but I think really yeah. one of the things that's often underestimated is how much of this data is actually publicly available and the ways that the criminals right. are connecting mild hacking with publicly available data that just a lot of people don't know is for sale. I know that's something you speak to a lot. Yeah, absolutely. All these attacks hinge on two parts. There is a process, a, an industry standard, which I can talk to you more about in the conclusion of what happened because of this paper. But there's this 45-day period from when you give up your phone number until they assign it to another person. And there are ways for people to see what numbers are available or have just become available. So to make a long story short, these attackers are sitting there looking at what numbers are available, taking those numbers, plugging them into databases that sell public records. And they're seeing who these numbers belong to in the past, and what potential previous breaches or information is out there about that person and if it's useful. So it's really like a very basic process that they just sit and cherry pick the numbers that they think will work for them. And I think a lot of people, at least who I've interacted with on the security side, really underestimate how much is available from these public record databases completely legally. So if you think of your personal attack surface, the data falls into a few categories. There's completely public data, things like your name, which is completely public. There's completely private data, things like your passwords. And then somewhere in the middle, there's data that might be sensitive, but which you can probably buy completely legally and without too much difficulty. Things like past addresses, current addresses, phone numbers. And when you're thinking about setting up your own, again, personal perimeter, you need to make sure that as little as possible of that public data can be used to compromise anything about you. So whether that's getting a text from a phone number that used to be yours and trusting it because you recognize it, or whether it's using as security questions, any information that's, again, purchasable publicly. These are all the things that we really speak to our clients. And you and I have a different client set, but it's the same message yeah. for both against doing. It's the importance of making sure that 
nothing that will allow someone in is something that can be acquired easily, because in many cases, that's the low-hanging fruit here. Why would I go through some very complicated hack of a very secure system when I can start with something where I can buy the data publicly or reset someone's two-factor because I now have their phone number? Exactly. They're just going after the easy targets. And that's why I always talk about individuals are the most at risk here because someone is not doing anything and has all this information out there. It's arguable that there's any legitimate purpose for these public record sites selling data, but it's not just you. And they bring this up in this paper where you can go on these public record sites and find all your relatives. And you can look at the history of what addresses you lived at and then see who else lived there at the same time. And you had roommates and people that live with you and all that. And it branches out really quickly of this huge group of people that if they just have your old phone number can start sending text messages to and your people who used to know you are probably going to click those links or reply or do whatever. So it's a pretty big problem. I'm curious your perspective. You work in particular with a lot of individual cybersecurity. What is your perspective on the steps that need to be taken to mitigate some of this? Because my perspective, I look at it from an institutional side. And so I think in terms of things like don't allow SMS-based two-factor at a software level. If your product doesn't allow that, then this isn't something that's exposed there. And we can talk a lot about things like phishing training for organizations and blocking yeah. numbers and all of that. But from your perspective, dealing with individuals, I mean, if I'm signed up for a service and they do two-factor via SMS, what am I supposed to do about that? That's really the question here, right? And so my most important, biggest piece of advice, the first step is to realize that you're responsible for your security. And I know that's not a tactic or something that you can download off the app store, but if you just approach everything with, it's my responsibility to keep myself safe. It's not my device. It's not the software I'm using. It's not another person. It's not the government. You'll approach these questions and what to do differently. So going in with the mindset that it's your responsibility, there's a lot of things you can do. The first thing you can do is make sure that you don't have personal information out there unnecessarily. So that goes from having your information removed from those websites, which is there's services that do that. We do that at Achillean. You can also do it yourself. The second thing is be mindful of everywhere that you sign up for. What information are you putting out there? What password are you using and all of that? I think there's one big lesson here that isn't news really, but this just drives the point home. This is a story about SMS to FA and that's not good and don't use it. And exactly. So places where you have a choice not to use it, don't use it, use something else. And the abstract risk management thought around SMS to FA is that it's not like SMS two-factor authentication is just less secure than another two-factor authentication method. It's that in and of itself, it's less secure than not having it at all because Mm -hmm. someone can take over your SMS messages very easily. This is not by any means the only way to steal someone's SMS. You've got lots of other things from things that take over your device to SIM jacking where you port out someone's number. But in my opinion, people should avoid two-factor authentication with SMS altogether. The final piece of advice and really where this paper leads to at the end is the responsibility of the carriers and individuals at the time of changing your phone number. I have a story, a close friend of mine a year ago changed his phone number. He didn't get breached as far as he knows, 
but he changed his phone number without thinking about this. So he couldn't access things like his bank account that yeah. he had like SMS two-factor authentication on, and it was a real nightmare to gain access. He started trying to get in contact with the person who now had his number to try to get access to these things again. So you really have to think about it. You have to be careful, unfortunately, when you get assigned a phone number, a lot of things go along with that. And it's not just about breaches where you lose money, there's privacy too. People are sending text messages to a new person that they think are going to me and maybe those messages are private. Right. Informing people that you're gonna change your number, changing your number properly, going back and doing that is really important. So those are the things that are on the top of my mind. Is there anything you would add or add to that? I completely echo the point on two-factor and the methods there. I also add that I think some thought about how a lot of our online security is interrelated as something people often don't think about. Email is maybe the easiest example. If someone compromises your email, they can get into almost everything else that you have. Absolutely. And as soon as you allow for things like SMS-based security, then your phone becomes another point of failure. And so the more we can keep our online identity segmented, the better, because if something does happen, it controls the damage there. For example, when I have those security questions, I make sure that not only are none of them real because the street I grew up on is almost certainly in the public domain pretty easily, but in addition to being fake, they're different, right? Because I don't want it to be that I tell one website the street I grew up on was Apple Lane and then that website has a data breach and then all of a sudden the fake answer to my security question is accessible everywhere else. So thinking of all these data points you use for authentication as separate is important. The other, I think, interesting implication here, I love your friend's story because that's separate from the security issue. It's just the logistical yeah. one. And it means, I think, both for individuals and for companies, thinking more about how you intermingle personal and corporate devices. From an individual's perspective, do you want to be stuck cut out of your two-factor if you change jobs or if maybe your company lays you off or even something innocuous, maybe your company just discontinues corporate cell phones. So there's numbers on that side. From a company perspective, if you're a controller of security, yeah. a CISO or, or similar, think about the individuals most likely to be terminated to have their numbers shut off, their devices deactivated are probably also the individuals you're most worried about some kind of security incident. One of the things that I'm concerned about is if you have an employee with a corporate cell phone, he or she is using that phone for some kind of two-factor. If that employee is terminated, of course, get the device back. But what's happened to that number? Is this now a number that someone else can get? Is this something even that same employee could get? Because you don't know what services, or I hope you do know, but you may not know what services that right. number are attached to. And I know you, Amir, speak a lot to this, but it's, it's the corporate risks we're exposed to through the personal devices or actions of employees, e even when those devices themselves may be secured by the corporate network. Absolutely. This is the kind of stuff that affects everyone. It affects the end user, the individual, it affects the company and the other people they're associated with. And then it affects the whole country and the mobile carriers and the regulators too. I just want to throw out a couple of the big takeaways that they had in their report that I think are staggering. They basically analyzed these low cost hacky type of activities on 259 recycled phone numbers that they were able to obtain. 215 of the 259 numbers were vulnerable to at least three of the attacks. So I think that's staggering. That's a big number. It's most yeah. of the numbers. And then out of 200 recycled numbers they received in one week, 
19 of them, so a small number, but still 19 people, were still receiving privacy-sensitive text messages and calls. So they're talking about prescription refill reminders and authentications for passcodes and that sort of stuff that were coming on their own. Nothing to go seek them out, but they were just receiving them on 19 of the numbers. So I think that that shows how widespread this problem is. The problem in my mind is people don't change their phone number that often. How do you go about educating people about something that they may only do once in their life or twice in their life? So whose responsibility is this at the end of it? I think there were some cool takeaways from this research, and I think it's great work. And I'm glad they brought attention to this issue. So they reached out to all the mobile phone carriers to talk about how big of a deal this is. And looks like two of them, T-Mobile and Verizon, actually made changes to their policy because of this research. And now they're educating people at the time of making the change, both about what happens to their phone number, but also that they need to change their bank accounts and social media. So I think that's where the responsibility lays with informing people about this. You can't expect people to be educated about this when you change your phone number maybe once in your life. No, though I would add to that, that I think there's also a responsibility on the services and how they implement two-factor, right? I think if I'm designing security for a new SaaS application, I should think about the way I'm implementing my whole authorization workflow to make sure that it is not leading people into bad habits. There's the old joke that over the last 20 years, we've gradually pushed people toward passwords that are really easy for computers to guess and really difficult for people to remember. I think a lot of bad best practices, or I guess common worst practices, are things that as the tech community around security, it's our responsibility to address. Individuals, I think, taking more ownership of the process around security, and then again, I know you speak a lot to that, is something that they can do, and it absolutely matters, especially when so many of the gains here are low-hanging fruit, basic security hygiene. But I think seeing more responsibility on the and of services we use and the way in which they implement security is also something that I'd like to see more of. You may only change your number once a year, but how many services do you sign up for where SMS two-factor is mandated? There's no excuse for that either from my perspective. Yeah, I totally agree. If there's one lesson here for everybody, it's to not do that and to try to avoid it at all costs. You still don't have a choice sometimes. There's, yeah. there's sites that require it. And the history of this whole thing, it's hard to get people to adopt this way of thinking. And we've come a long way from that. And SMS was like this intermediate step of like, well, you don't need a second application, like an authenticator, better than nothing. And it got people used to this idea. I think at this point, we're past that. And it's time to deprecate that way of authentication. Tyler, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this talk. I hope people get some good advice here and think about the next time they're changing their phone number. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. And remembering the different ways exposed data can be used to move laterally through your online footprint is really, really important and not something that that kind of gets enough attention. So appreciate the time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Amir. Absolutely. Take care. 